Um, so this morning, uh, welcome online community, by the way. My name is John. I'm the lead pastor here at the Gathering Place Church. For those of you that are visiting here today, same. And uh, so we have been in a series since the beginning of the year that I believe the Lord put in my heart. I, every December I go away, I get alone with the Lord and ask him, what are you doing in this next year? Because the Lord works in days and seasons, and so I like to follow him. And so he, I believe, spoke to my heart in December saying in 2022, it was going to be the restoration of the church for the salvation of the world. Um, you, can, you can listen to those messages. I'm not going to re-preach the whole thing. But what I have been experiencing is divine activity uh, from the Lord since the beginning of this year where he's literally dropping in me the things he wants me to preach because those are the things he's restoring in us. It's been pretty remarkable. Uh, the first one was, um, well, we've been in a series for two months, um, None Too Far, restoring our sight, our focus. We've been about masks and mandates and vaccines and politics and race relations, and it has just obliterated relationships in the body of Christ. And so Jesus is telling us, lift your eyes and look at the harvest. Jesus had all those issues in his day as well. But he was about souls. He was about people. And so we don't, want to break, we don't want to blow up our relational bridges over these secondary issues and lose people for eternity. Because you can win an argument and you lose a soul. So what really have we won? So we need to make sure we are on Jesus' page. Turn to your neighbor and say, you better make sure you're on Jesus' page. Go ahead. Come on, help him out. Help her out. Yeah. Okay. And so we've been in that series, but, um, and the Lord's been giving me dreams for the last couple of months. Now, um, in this series, we're, it's the same series as our Reach series, but we're changing it from uh, none too far to, to the least of these. At, at the Gathering Place Church, we like to say that we share and we show the gospel. Say, share the gospel, show the gospel. Showing the gospel is the mercy and compassion and kindness of God to others. Um, this, is, this is what Jesus says uh, mercy and compassion looks like. Sharing the gospel looks like this. Or showing the gospel looks like this. In Matthew 25, it says this. But when the Son of Man comes in His glory, speaking of going to be something awesome then he will sit upon his glorious throne this is jesus talking about him in the future all the nations will be gathered in his presence and he will separate the people as a shepherd shepherd separates sheep from the goats turn to your neighbor and say you don't want to be a goat yeah all right so today's about how not to be a goat we could have named the sermon that how not to be a goat here we go he will place the sheep at his right hand and the goats at his left hand. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then these righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink or a stranger and show you hospitality or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth. 
when you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. Then the king will turn to those on the left and say, away with you, you cursed ones into eternal fire prepared for the devil and his demons. For I was, this is sweet Jesus talking, by the way. I was hungry and you did not feed me. I was thirsty, you didn't give me drink. I was a stranger, you did not invite me into your home. I was naked and you didn't give me clothing. I was sick and in prison and you didn't visit me. Then they will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and not help you? And he will answer, I tell you the truth. When you refuse to help the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you are refusing to help me. Remember when the apostle Paul was killing Christians and the resurrected Jesus appeared to him and knocked him off his horse. And Jesus, what did Jesus say to him? Why are you persecuting me? The theologian Mark Myers correctly says. Why are you per- he didn't say, why are you persecuting my people? Why are you persecuting my church? Why are you persecuting me? When the devil touches you, he's touching Jesus. Because you are his treasure. Jesus had enough of Paul. Knocked him off his horse. And as you know, Saul became Paul and became an apostle of the church. And they will go away into eternal punishment, but, uh, but the righteous will go into eternal life. I'm going to share with you how God led us into the series. And I'm going to turn it over to my wife. Isn't it great having hope in the house? Yeah. For those of you who are not aware, my wife, right. let hope arise, prophesy it. As, my wife has been battling... Um, cancer for a long time and so she hasn't been in church in probably a year or so she was here last week to have Marilyn Neubauer lay hands on her and pray over her we had a healing uh, teacher in here last Sunday and and I've asked hope to preach today um, and uh, I'll tell you why in a minute um, I felt the Lord move us into this compassion series to show the gospel to a hurting world For a number of reasons. One, a Wednesday night prayer, we were praying for you and for our church. And I saw a huge heart on this window right here. I saw it literally pulsating going out toward the city. And I felt the Lord say that the Gathering Place Church is going to be known by the city as a church of love and mercy and compassion. And then I had a dream that I was advocating for a vulnerable prisoner. It was a prisoner that was going to be um, abused. And I was like, like gripped with the reality that this person is going to be harmed. And I was trying to talk to the, the warden and to the people and, the, and the, the guards in the prison. And they just didn't care. And I couldn't do anything about it. I was helpless. And I woke up and I was just really taken by that dream. And I had another dream that I was writing down a list of all the vulnerable people in society. I was making a list of them. Then I had another dream that I was walking with Miles McPherson from the Rock Church. Miles and I do some work together in the city. And I was walking with him, and I was thanking him in the dream uh, that he began his church. And if you go on his website, you'll see it's called We Are a Do Something Church. I love that. And uh, I said in the dream, from day one, you have been a do something church. You are always serving the city in some capacity. And I just want to thank you for your faithfulness. They've saved the, the county of San Diego, multiplied millions of dollars through the way they have served the city over the last 20 years. So then I woke up in the dream and I texted Miles and said, I had this dream about you. And I just want to thank you for staying the course and serving our city for all these years, which 
um, he appreciated the affirmation, uh, especially now the pastors just gotten the crud beat out of them over the last couple of years. We need to affirm and encourage one another. Miles and myself and a couple other pastors just put on a city, citywide pastors gathering just this last week. We had about a hundred pastors show up and, um, we had a, just a wonderful time of encouragement. Josh, Darrell, you were there. It was a great time just encouraging the pastors of our city to, to, to man the ship, man. Stay on point. And let's, uh, let's lead the church through these troubling times into our future. Um, so I was on the phone with uh, Miles again while we're in the series. I was on the phone with Miles, and I was asking him. I was texting him saying, hey, send me the name of the person that's over your outreach to the city ministry. Uh, uh, um, serving the city. I want to know their name. So I got in the car with Josh and he said, what are you doing? I said, I'm texting miles right now, asking him for the key person that serves their city. He goes, Oh, Dare Lee and I already reached out to that person. In fact, we have a meeting with that person would happen to be another person on miles of staff. So Dare Lee and Josh and myself are independently reaching out to miles to ask about connecting with them to serve the city together at the same time, which was another confirmation. The last thing was, as I knew we were heading this direction, my wife was asked by the Mormon church up in Ramona. Ramona has a large Mormon contingency. And we're well known up there because we've had six kids go through the system and we're friends with the principal who's a Mormon. And so they asked Hope to come and speak at their seminary. The seminary is the, the school kids have to go, have to go to a Bible study every, every morning before school starts. I told them all that if my kids had to go to a Bible study every morning before school, they would have left the faith a long time ago. But... Their, their kids have to go there, and so they invited Hope to come to talk about how, to make, how you make it through trial successfully because she's been going through a deep trial for a long time now, and she is a victorious person. And so I went with her, and there were uh, you know, uh, a number of high school kids there, and as she was sharing what she shared about the compassion of God that entered her heart, and he had her and thus us do something together. It was such a manifestation of the compassion of God through a human heart. I said, that needs to be the opening of our new series. My prayer through this series is that the compassion of God would permeate all of our hearts and just wreck us. So that we literally are the hands and the feet of Jesus to the least of these among us. Let's welcome Hope as she comes and ministers. Good morning. Can you hear me? So good to be here. In case uh, you're at all wondering, why in the heck would Hope be speaking to a group of Mormons? Well, one thing is, I've got this group of Mormon moms that follow my blog who... Are just that you know, send me messages, bring me food and stuff. But bigger than that was, I thought this could be an opportunity. And I'd had a message prepared to, to speak, and um, it struck me it's like, you know, what would be the best use of my influence with this group of um, essentially teenagers, a big group of Mormon teenagers? I had already had a message based on what they had asked me to speak. Um, and then a text came across the night before where they said, um, actually, you don't have to speak on that. You can feel led of the, of the Holy Spirit to speak what you want to speak about. And that night, as I put my head on my pillow, something dropped in my heart that I thought, this will be 
um, I thought the best thing that I can do is for them to show that it would be to show them God's undeniable power and moving and miracle working in our lives that will cause them to potentially say that is undeniably the Lord and maybe cause them to think more about, uh, you know, I'm not up here to bash Mormons, but um, clearly the Mormon religion is a faith plus a whole lot of other things to get to heaven, right? Um, and we're a faith plus nothing else um, to God and to heaven. And so, um, so that was what I was given the opportunity to do. I thought this would be a really good um, testimony, uh, an opportunity to give testimony of God's miracle working power. So anyway, that's why um, I chose to go ahead and do it. Um, this morning, I'm going to be speaking on one of my favorite verses and one of my favorite topics. Anytime I get to talk about orphans and widows, I'm so excited. You know, so half of you are thinking, yay, orphans and widows, and half of you are thinking, oh, God, Hope's talking about orphans and widows again. So hopefully I'll make it worth your while by the end of this. Um, so one of my favorite verses in the Bible is James 1.27. Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. For me, this has always been um, just straightforward, no getting around it, undeniable, where basically James is saying um, you can be doing all sorts of other really good things. I mean, there are lots of really great things we do in church with programs for women and Bible studies and men's ministry and youth group and all sorts of really great things. But if we aren't giving attention to the least of these, just like was outlined in the book of Matthew, we're kind of missing the whole big point of what Jesus was about. Um, I feel like in many ways, large swaths of the American church have become about God bless my American dream. And we like to appropriate the gospel to, you know, instead of us coming to God empty and saying, what is it that you want? What is it that you're doing? We're much more likely to say, well, here's what I'm doing, God, and I would really love for you to give me what I'm asking for. I really would love for you to bless me with regard to this. And I think we're really, honestly, I think we're shortchanging not only the Lord and not only do I want to get to heaven one day and him say, well done, and not find out that there was so much more that he wanted to use my life for. But um, for us, because as I'll explain during this story, um, you'll never, I will never do anything in my life, and I've done a fair amount of things, I think, that will compare to getting a front row seat. I call it a front row seat to a miracle. And it's all, it was all contingent upon my willingness to say yes to whatever he asked me to do. So uh, it started with a dream. Many of you know this story. Some of you know bits and pieces of this story. But um, when I was about 17 years old, um, I was in a church, and we were in a place where with the youth, they were taking us through uh, giving our whole lives to God. No holds barred. Um, set aside everything that you thought you wanted to do with your life or that your parents expected you to do or whatever. And wholeheartedly empty ourselves and say, God, I'm willing to give you my life and do whatever it is that you want for me to do. Um, and so during this period of time, I had a dream. And the dream basically, have you ever had a dream where you wake up in the dream, you think you're waking up, but you're still in a dream? 
so that that was it. So I, in the dream, I woke up, I got out of bed, I walked down the hallway to my living room. I was living with my mom at this point in time. And I looked out the front window, and out the window was this huge, huge mountain of garbage. And there were people living on top of the garbage. And there were also um, people being carried off, like in body bags, off to the side. And it was just uh, sickness and poverty and um, hopelessness. And it freaked me out. I'm like, what is going on? I have no clue what's going on here. And I ran out of the living room, down the hall, and out the back of the house. So then I wake up. Well, I think I wake up, but it's still the dream. So I get up, and I'm like, wow, that was, I'm glad that was a dream. That's completely freaky. I don't know what was going on there. I get up. I walk down the hall. I look out the living room window, and it's not there anymore. And I'm like, okay. I don't know what that was about. I continue walking into the kitchen, and I get there, and there are two babies on my kitchen floor. And they're clearly sick. They're lying in their own urine and excrement. Um, and Jesus is there. And he says to me, won't you help them? And in that moment, I was struck with the reality. Everything came into, into focus that I had seen this incredible need before and I had run, run from it because it was so overwhelming and scary. Um, and now I realized, oh, wait a second, of course. And I said to Jesus, of course, of course I will. And so I ran to the back of the house to go get towels to pick up the babies and clean them off. And then I, I actually woke up. And so, you know, you have those dreams that you, you have dreams that you kind of remember bits and pieces. Then you have dreams that you really remember all the details. Then you have dreams you wake up from and they're like, that was not just another dream. This was like something... You know, God is trying to speak to me. There, you know, this dream has impacted me so much. So I committed it to prayer, um, and I had my own ideas about what it all meant. It would take a few years of, you know, different circumstances in my life to make it clear. But one of the next things that happened was I went up to Tennessee and visited my aunt and uncle, who were missionaries at that point in time, but they were on furlough back in the United States. And I think my cousin Rebecca and her husband Charlie are watching. Talking about you guys. Hi. Gotten um, back from uh, a trip that included Manila, uh, Philippines. And among their photos was um, Smoky Mountain, which is an area in Manila that is like miles and miles, probably the largest trash dump that you've ever seen in your life. 30,000 people built a city on top of it awful, uh, terrible child mortality, um, very high death rate among infants and just people in general, because you can't live in garbage and not get sick. I mean, but for them, it was the only place they had, and, and they would dig through the garbage all day long to see if they could find anything. Do we have a picture of a, yeah, that's it right there. So on the left kind of shows you how they would like construct these lean-tos to stay in and, but in reality, it's just miles of smoking garbage, burning garbage everywhere. And so um, I knew in that moment, I had been praying about where to go to do, uh, at that point I was in Bible college and I was going to go do, um, uh, for lack of a better word, uh, a practicum, uh, um, an internship. And I thought, that's it, that's where I'm going to go. And I, was, and I actually ended up going with the organization my aunt and uncle were working with, which is YWAM, you guys may have heard about that. 
and I spent time in uh, Manila at Smoky Mountain and then also in the northern part of the Philippines. While I was there, I was really impacted by, um, you know, in the United States, you know, our healthcare system in many ways is a wreck. In many ways, it's the best in the world, but in many ways, it's, it's a disaster. Um, but one thing is for sure, if you're a child, even if you're an orphan in the United States, you're gonna get healthcare. I mean, if you're in the foster care system, you're gonna get healthcare. If you're super poor, there's Medicaid, you will get healthcare. But it, that's not the way it is in probably the majority of the world, actually. When you're in the third world and you're sick, you just die. Um, like the breast cancer diagnosis that I got, if you're, you got, many of you guys know that before I retired, I worked a lot in Africa. Um, with infectious disease as an epidemiologist. And the thing about Africa is you get a diagnosis of breast cancer, and unless you're extremely wealthy and have access to Johannesburg, it's a death sentence, even if, you're, even if they catch it early. So in the United States, stage one breast cancer has like a 97% survival rate. There, 100% death rate for lack of access. So I was struck by particularly in the areas where we were working, children with correctable health issues, no access to care, and it's a death sentence for them. And for me, um, especially in the context of this scripture where he's just flat out saying, pure and genuine religion in the sight of God is this, caring for orphans and widows. For me, that was like a ram of word dropped in my spirit that was like, this is, this is something that you're gonna do. And the dream that I had kind of came into focus where uh, I kind of felt like that probably there would be two children that at some point in time would come into our lives um, that needed um, not only a family, but needed health care. So um, basically, John and I got married. Fast forward, we had three kids. We had lots of conversations along the way. He had no intention when we first got married of thinking about adoption. It was never on his radar. But after, you know, yeah, but after years of talking about it and uh, praying about it, he really felt like, yeah, this is something that the Lord wants us to do. And so when we finally got to a place where we had um, uh, three children at that point in time, we prayed and we asked the Lord to show us because it's, it's overwhelming. There's so much need. I mean, literally, there are millions of orphans languishing in orphanages around the world. There's so much need and so few who are willing to, to step up. And when kids are sick, forget about it. People, that's like the dirty word in the adoption world. People do not want a sick kid. They just don't, and I get it. I mean, because most people that go into adoption don't have their own children. So I, I'm not criticizing anybody that goes into adoption and says, I prefer not to have a sick kid. I get it. But um, unfortunately, they're the last ones to be adopted. So we prayed about it, and that night I had a dream that we were walking down the streets of Ho Chi Minh City. So I get up and I say to John, I dreamt that we were walking down the streets of Ho Chi Minh City. He says, where's that? And I said, that's Vietnam. <laughs> that's what happened. And so, uh, <laughs> so that's Vietnam. And uh, a, a couple nights later, um, we were at a missions dinner. It was a little banquet to raise money for this mission organization that Stephanie Demink has worked with for years and years, E3, and she was there at this banquet as well. And we sat across from a couple 
how many kids do you have? We have three, but we're thinking about right now about adopting internationally. Oh, where do you think about adopting internationally from? Well, actually Vietnam. Really, we just got back from Vietnam and we were in a hotel and there were these people all with babies, Vietnamese babies they had just adopted. And we're like, really? And they said, yeah. And I'm like, do you know anything about like the circumstances or the agency? And they said, no, but our daughter does home studies. You should call her. So they gave us the number of the daughter I called her and she says, well, unfortunately, there's no adoptions between the US and Vietnam. They're all shut down because of black market um, babies. What you saw was the French. The French have a special agreement because they used to occupy Vietnam, so they have a very close relationship, Vietnam and France, and they, have, they still have arrangements where Vietnamese babies can be adopted by um, French families. So she goes, but when you do, it's very important that you use a reputable agency. And she gives me the name of three agencies. So I go online with the first one. And I go to their Vietnam tab. Sorry, all uh, adoptions are shut down between the US and Vietnam. I go to the second agency. I go to the Vietnam tab. Sorry, program is completely shut down. Check back later. Maybe things will open up. I go to the third one. Sorry, no adoptions between Vietnam and the US. But down at the very bottom, there was a little asterisk. And it said, if you would be willing to take a very sick child, please contact us at this number. So I said, I said to John, I said, well, he says, well, call him. So I called him. <laughs> <laughs> so I called him and she's like, I called him and she's like, oh my gosh, I'm so glad that you've called. And she said, look, I'm going to break protocol. We actually don't ever release photos of children or anything until people are pre-approved by a home study, but we are so desperately trying to find a home for the child. And I'm going to be honest with you, I've had like two other people call about this and once I send them the photo of the child, they never call us back again. It's a lot and you just have to, you know, I'm going to send you the photo and if I hear from you, great. So she sent the photo, and it was the photo that, um, oh, and that's the photo they sent. And so that was, at the time, his name was Wen Lei Hong. Um, he was uh, born 2.2 pounds. He was a twin, and his twin brother had died. But obviously, um, he had a giant tumor covering half his face, and he was blind in the eye behind that. And, they, uh, there was, you know, even if someone had decided, let's sponsor this child and get him the help he needs. In Vietnam, there's not the appropriate type of surgeons to deal with this, and um, he has needed so much therapy along the years that he never would have made it in, uh, in Vietnam. So we looked at this, and we're like, you know, it's shocking when you first see this. It was like, oh, wow. And so I'm like, what do you think? And, and he's like, we kind of were at the place where we're like, how can we not do this? Do we have the ability to do this? Yes, will it be really hard? Yes. So how can we say no to this? So we said yes. And uh, shortly thereafter, I mean like within two weeks, found out we were pregnant with Ava. And so uh, <laughs> once, we, once we brought Samuel home, we had a seven-year-old, a five-year-old, two 16-months-olds, because uh, Lily and um, Samuel were the same age and then a newborn, um, Ava. And thank goodness Nana moved out to help us out. Um, 
And there was so much, so uh, many testimonies I could give you of this process. One of the big ones uh, that I will share is that um, we told the church board at that point in time what we were doing. And it's an expensive process, no doubt about it, it's expensive. Um, and, they, and we planned to take out a second on our home to make it happen. And Rod Whitson, who um, was a member of our board for, for many years, said, no, you're not doing that. We're going to stand up and talk to the church about it. And we're like, we don't want to feel like we're taking advantage. I mean, this is a decision that we made. We don't want the church to feel like we're taking advantage, asking them to pay for it. And he's like, no, we're going to do this. So that Sunday, Rod stood up and he, it was Easter. He stood up, he told the story, he took an offering and $25,000 came in. And there was an executive from American Express who was just in town for Easter, didn't live in San Diego, was just visiting. He left, called us from Phoenix where he lived, and he donated, uh, he donated enough $5,000 worth of Sky Miles that paid for all of our flights back and forth. And that's, and that's pretty much exactly what the adoption process called, cost, was um, $30,000 for, um, for his particular adoption. And so, um, you know, one of my points in all this, one thing that's become clear, I mean, did I have moments of panic and freaking out along this process thinking, oh my gosh, what am I doing? Are we gonna totally, is this gonna financially, you know, destroy our family? Do we know what we're doing? What are we gonna do with him? You know, are we gonna be able to find the right doctors? What I found was, once we got on the page where God is most most, that's closest to his heart. God is about many things and loves many things, but it's clear from scripture that he's about the least of these. You will see him move. And I can tell you, Samuel has had many, many surgeries, so much therapy. He'd been severely neglected because they're very superstitious in, in Vietnam and they believe that when you're like that, your family must have been bad uh, and you're being punished and they don't want to touch him or anything. And so basically... He got, a, he got two bottles propped up in bed a day. He was 16 months old, never had solid food. Uh, the pediatrician said they almost starved him to death. No one talked to him. No one made eye contacts. When we brought him back, we, uh, his plastic surgeon, which, which is also my plastic surgeon now, um, and, and, a, and a, a good friend, said, she told me the, uh, the last time I was seeing her, she said, I thought you guys were nuts. She said, you brought this kid in here that, you know, he would crawl around and try to find the nearest wall and bang his head against it. And uh, they say the reason was because he never got stimulation. And so your nervous system will find ways to get stimulation. Whenever no toys, no one talking to you, nothing, the nervous system is going to have to be stimulated. And so that's what he did. He compensated by banging his head on stuff. So we had to buy him an epilepsy helmet until healthy stimulation replaced his old habits um, of what he was doing. Um, so, Sam, why don't you come up real quick and just say hi to everybody. <laughs> so this is our Sam, this handsome boy. So, 
I did that. Yeah. No. And he's graduating. He's graduating from high school, which is something when we first put him in, they thought this kid probably never going to talk. Um, and so it's so many miracles, more than I have time to share about. I have, we have never in our lives seen God move more than in the lives of our boys um, that we adopted. Let me, let me throw this in here. You got me? Let me throw this in here real quick, talking about these miracles. So we went from three to five like that, right? And we had a special need. And uh, so talking about the provision of God, we've never seen a move like this. I go to church and a businessman came up to me and said, uh, God told me to give you my car. And I said, well, that sounds like the Lord to me. <laughs> and then he didn't talk to me about it again for another three months. I saw him at church. And I'm like, well, I'm not going to go up and ask him for his car. That'd be kind of weird. And then he came up to me and finally said, God wants me to give you my car. I even told my wife about it, but I'm having a hard time because that's a really nice car. And I said, well, if you want to live in disobedience, just keep it. <laughs> so he gives me the keys of the car. I didn't need a car. I didn't know what it was. The license plate on the car. We went from three to seven, four to seven children. No, no. What, how, no, three, three to, to five. five. When three to five, we ended up having so We many, hadn't adopted Josiah yet. We, I mean, we don't even have seven children. <laughs> we have six now. Anyway. Well, from three to five, like that, on the light. So, so on the license plate, the number five. Then EVA, which is how we uh, spelled our, our our youngest child's name, and then seven o four, which is Samuel's birthday. I got a, I got a, yeah, I got a personalized license plate from heaven. Because you guys, have to you, you guys have to understand, this whole journey, it was a faith walk. And, you know, and people like, I'm not special because God gives me dreams. God gives me dreams because I'm so risk-averse that he has to do something undeniable <laughs> for, for me to do it. You know, it's like, uh, he's like, okay, this is how I got to get over to you what I want for you to do. Something that you just cannot, you, you just can't deny that you can't get away from. Um, so... And then short story, I don't have time to tell the whole story of Josiah, but if you have the next photo of Josiah. So a friend of mine sent me a flyer that had the child she had adopted from Ethiopia on it. And um, on it, up in the corner, was this little cutie. Sorry. Um, and so they had put a grant on him to try to motivate people to adopt him. And at that point in time, we, I just really felt, looking at it, this is the other child. This is the other one. And, um, and we adopted him, and he's a little angel boy. Where are you, Josiah? Yes. Way from back there. <laughs> go, go! We've got an online community that's wondering who this ghost boy is. Okay, so I hope you guys realize I'm not sharing these stories to talk about how great we are at all. We have, the, we have had the privilege to be tasked with. All right, here we go. <laughs> Off the camera. Wait. Our, our newly redheaded son, you'll have to comment. Uh, he, uh, he got a new do yesterday. Um, truly, truly, this is not about, sometimes people try to make John and I out to be Mr. and Mrs. Mother Teresa, and that is not at all what I'm trying to say. We are humble, humble, we humbly decided to say yes to what God asked us to do, period. Um, and this is what he called us to do. I'm not suggesting that everybody in here is supposed to adopt an orphan. I would hope that maybe someone in here would want to adopt an orphan. 
But that's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is Jesus is about the least of these, and we have got to be part of that. As a church, um, some of you may know that we've supported um, this very big orphanage in South Africa called Acres of Love for over 20 years. We've given an excess of probably $75,000, $80,000 to them over the years. And what they do is there's a tremendous orphan problem in South Africa. And they, uh, this, this organization buys homes in the suburbs. They staff them with home parents. And then they put like six or seven or eight kids in each home so that they have an opportunity to grow up in a home environment. It's amazing. And it's a Christian uh, organization that does this. They've got, I think, maybe 20 homes at this point in uh, between... Um, uh, Johannesburg, and I think Cape Town. Um, and there's several other. We support uh, a blind school slash orphanage in Nepal through Rick Zachary. Uh, there's another orphanage that we support. Rick, I mean, um, Mark, what's the name of the organization? Hope for the Nations. Hope for the Nations. In Africa. In Africa. Um, in, yeah, Liberia. An orphanage there. And so as a church, we realized this is something we cannot ignore. This is something we have to do. And I'm going to say something really disappointing. The American church gives between 0 and 3% outside of the country to, to outward need. Eight, eight, no, it is. It's, it, it's terrible. 80 to 85% of the resources in the in. 80 to 85% of the resources of Christians globally stays in the United States. Only 20% to 15% goes out when 80 to 85% of the need is outside of the United States. And so I don't get it. You know, when, when we first pioneered this church, we met with a guy who's done a lot of great things in San Diego. And we, and we knew we were going to do something along these lines with, with global missions and with the poor. And we met with him. And so we asked him, so what is your, your global missions or your you know, uh, ministry like? What do you do? He goes, oh, no, don't do that. He said, there's plenty of need right here in your own church. You don't need to, you don't need to give money to that. And I was like, I was flabbergasted. I don't say that to be judgmental. It just... It's an example of where the American church is, and it's unfortunate. Because I think if all the American churches got motivated about this issue, there wouldn't be this massive problem. I know it's very complicated. There's politics, and there's wars, and there's all these kind of things. But I think if, I think if the global church got serious about ending hunger, ending the problem with orphans, ending um, poverty, a whole lot... Uh, could be solved, but I just, we're just not doing it. We're, we've really fallen short um, with that. So my points that I'm going to move through very quickly here. What am I trying to say? Number one, you're never too young for God to speak to you about what he wants you to do for him. So I was 17 when I first got that dream. So those of you in here who have teenagers or if there are any teenagers in here, um, God can speak to you now about something he wants to do, wants you to do for him later on. You're not too young to ask. You're not too young to hear. Number two, we don't need a supernatural sign for something the Bible already tells us to do. So please don't say, well, God, when you give me a dream like you gave hope, then I'll do it. No, we don't need that. Like, again, I tell you, the reason he did it for me is because I'm hard-headed and stubborn. That's why he did it that way for me. 
Um, I think we should get about doing something for the least of these, not only as a church, but as families and as individuals. I really, really encourage you to think about that, to pray about it. Now, there is wisdom in a multitude of counselors. So I would say don't do anything crazy without running it by people that you trust. You know, the leadership here or people in your home group or other Christian friends that you trust. You know, because there are a lot of people that have great ideas that are really, they're good, but they're not God. You know what I'm saying? And it could really, you know, for instance, someone saying, hey, I feel like God told me to give our entire bank account to uh, the orphanage, orphanage somewhere. Well, that might not be the Lord telling you to do that. Maybe it is, but maybe you're just, maybe your heart is in the right place, but you just got to put some wisdom on that. Number three, God's timing is very often way longer than ours. Sorry. No. You want that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I feel bad because now she has a cherry bottle of water. I thought I was doing something good. God's timing is very often way longer than ours. So it was 17 years from the time God gave me that dream until we adopted Samuel, and it was 21 years until we adopted Josiah. Sometimes God shows us things, we get really excited about it, and we start trying to push it and make it happen, and it's just not God's timing yet. We just have to wait. Whenever God gave Joseph the dream that he shared with his brothers um, about how he was going to be in a, in a leadership position, and they were going to be bowing down to him, it was 13 years. First, he had to be sold into slavery. He had to serve under Potiphar, get thrown in prison, and then he got elevated And so just because it isn't happening immediately, just because he tells you something doesn't mean it's going to happen immediately. A lot of times he's preparing you for the right time. Um, Number four, God never promised us or called us to a comfortable life. Another big thing in the Christian church. I mean, does God want our needs taken care of? Absolutely. He does. But... In America, and I have been in seasons of this myself, I feel like we spend so much energy, even as Christians, getting to a place of comfort. Our endeavors in our life, our prayers are about, you know, I want finances so I can be comfortable. I want to get my house so I can be comfortable. I want to be able to have a couple of vacations. So much of our life is about comfort. And it's like that that is so not what Jesus was about. His life was one of service and sacrifice. Again, I'm not shaming on those of us. Of course, we want to have a home, provide a nice home for our families, and we want to be able to take a vacation every now and then. What I'm saying is so much of the focus in our culture is comfort, and that's not what we're called to as Christians. It's not. In fact, you very, we very much had to step outside of our comfort zones. Number five, you will see God move in amazing ways you could never anticipate when you get on his page. I said it before, and I'll just say it again briefly. So many miracles, so much favor, so many things have happened, specifically around these boys. Um, not only the process of, of getting them adopted, but the resources for them and the opportunity for influence that they have had. Um, on, and, and nothing else in our lives has compared with, with regard to being able to say, wow, we have never seen God move this way. And it's because... It's at the very core of God's heart, uh, including, I'm not going to tell the story because I don't have time, but the picture here of our house, and that's our family. 
some other time. For those of you that don't know it, I'll tell you the story about this house. It's a complete miracle. You can ask Sarah and Daryl, who are watching online. Hey, Sarah and Daryl are real estate agents, um, about the story of how we got this house. And what John and I know is because we needed a bigger house and we needed a wheelchair accessible house. And this house was built by a family with six children who had one in a wheelchair. And the whole bottom floor is wheelchair accessible. And so it was like made for us. Um, but that was, you know, I didn't pray for that house. There, there's a crazy story behind this house that we'll tell you another time. But I didn't pray for this house. But when I got this house, I was like, oh my gosh, God, I cannot believe you did this for us. And it was because of what we did for him. Last point, what are you willing to hear? And that really is the question. Instead of coming to God with, here's the ministry I want to do, God, which could be a really good thing, coming to him completely empty and saying, what is it that you were doing? I want to get on your page. I mean, even whenever I was in uh, grad graduate school and college, every year I would come to him and say, I'm not assuming that you want me to continue doing this. Give, you know, tell me what it is you want me to do with my life. Because, you know, graduate school takes up a whole lot of your life. Um, and so coming to him anew, always, and saying, I I'm willing to hear you ask me to do anything, God, even if it's with a prisoner. Ron, our friend Ron, has an amazing ministry to prisoners. They are not a very sympathetic group for the American church. Not a lot of people want to spend their time or their time off ministering to prisoners. But we saw it in the scripture. Jesus said, whenever you serve this group, you are serving me. Or the refugee. You know, when it says the stranger, we could consider refugees, we could consider undocumented workers. Another couple of groups that a lot of people just don't feel a lot of compassion toward. The hungry and the homeless. Orphans and widows. So I'm going to turn it over to John for a time of application, but what I hope um, I accomplished here this morning was um, making you hungry and desirous of doing whatever it is that God has called you to do and to not be scared of it, not feel overwhelmed by it, but know that when you get on his page, he is right with you every step along the way. As always, lethal. Um, I want to give us some practical application points, meaning actual things that you can volunteer to be a part of. But I want to say that this, the least of these among us are anywhere from people in our own body to your next door neighbor to a, a throwaway baby on the other side of the world. Right? The least of these are all around us. So the Lord, this is the thing that is so amazing to me. God has linked himself, if I could say it this way, made himself dependent on us to reach the least of these. So he has compassion to fill the planet. 
but the way that his compassion actually connects with a real need is through a human being. So somebody's got to raise their hand and say, I'm willing to get outside of my comfort zone. I'm willing to be inconvenienced for God's compassion to reach somebody. Will that somebody be you? That's between you and God. I hope as the pastor of this church that our heart will get bigger and that all of us would raise our hands and online, all of us would raise our hands and say, Lord, it's a little scary to have my boat rocked, but I don't want to get to heaven and look back and say, why the heck was I so concerned about safety and comfort rather than being radical for Jesus with compassion of God? Right before we go into these, I want us to just come to the Holy Spirit right now in this moment because that was a brilliant presentation on the compassion of God. Will you just close your eyes with me? You online, just close your eyes. If you're ready and willing to do this, I just want you to say to the Holy Spirit right now, just say to Jesus, um, I am willing to hear you say anything to me. If you can say that right now, just say it to him. I'm willing to hear you say anything to me. Now that's a dangerous prayer, but I want to ask the Holy Spirit right now to begin to put people faces God's compassion into our hearts and just let's wait on the holy spirit for a moment lord i ask for you for impartation right now not just information impartation lord some of you your priorities are changing right now he's moving the things that have been so much to you and he's making room for the least of these Let God rock your world. So you can live your life for Him. Okay, I want you to look at me for a moment. How many of you felt like something came up in your heart? Whether it was God's compassion or a face or a name or something to do right here. Anybody else? Right here, right here, right here. Okay, you got to act on that. It's important that you act on that. Um, in pre-service prayer, I had a word of knowledge. A word of knowledge means that you get information from God spontaneously that you couldn't get any other way. It's in the Bible, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I had a word of knowledge that some in here have a gift of mercy. It's a biblical gift, a gift of mercy, a gift of compassion. It's in Romans chapter 12. And that well of mercy, that fountain of compassion has been bottled up, has been blocked, it's been uh, through um, what I got was hurts, trials, disappointments have blocked your, your, your gift of mercy and compassion. And you're kind of like bottled up in your own pain. And I, and, and I believe he said that today's message was going to move those boulders, those rocks, that debris out of the way. And it's going to release that compassion in your heart again. Um, 
I'm going to take a risk. If that's you, would you just raise your hand where you are? And I'm going to pray for you right over here. Praise God is one in the back. Somebody else here that has that where you just feel like, man, I used to flow in that and life has just gotten in the way. And I want that well broken up again. I want that water of, of compassion and mercy to flow. There's another one. There's another one. Somebody else. I got three. Anybody else? This is a, this is a really important gift. There's people that, there's people that have another one. There's the people that have a gift of evangelism. Then we're all called to share our faith or share the gospel. There are people who have a gift of faith, there's, but then all of us are supposed to operate in faith. There are actual spiritual gifts that are at a whole another level of compassion and mercy. That's who I'm talking to today. All right. Anybody else? Okay. Just, uh, will you stand right where you are? Those that raise your hand, I'm going to pray over you. Lord, we pray in the name of the Lord Jesus for those fountains of mercy and compassion, the gift of of love right now, Lord, to burst forth in their spirits through the debris, through the pain, through the distractions, through the trials. Lord, we pray now that it break open and it begin to flow again, Lord, to where it's obnoxious to everybody that knows them because they just got to reach this person and reach that person and give this amount of money and do this and go there. Lord, break it open. And may we all benefit from it. In the name of Jesus. Mark, you have something? For those that uh, responded, just close your eyes. Tell the Lord what you're afraid of. Because as you're facing this, you're afraid of something. The risks. What might go wrong. Take a moment and tell him, this is what I'm afraid of in taking this step. And then just be still and listen to what he says in response to that fear. Because he will respond to that fear. No, go ahead. Just do it. <laughs> okay, do it. Let's just take a moment and do that. And then I'm going to get to these outreaches. And then we're going to close out with a little bit of worship. So just tell the Lord, this is what I'm afraid of. Again, remember, we're not just an information church. We're a demonstration church. So we're going to, this is a practicum. Tell the Lord what you're afraid of if you were to follow his lead to reach the least of these. Just be honest with him. Tell him what it is. Okay, now ask Jesus, say, what would you like to say to me about that? And just see what comes up in your heart. How many of you feel that you were clear about what you're afraid of and you felt like the Lord spoke to you about it? Anybody just raise your hands? Okay, what did you say you were afraid of? You don't have to say it out loud if you don't want to. I'm sorry. That's kind of personal. Losing the life that I've created. Losing the life that I've created. And what did he say to you about that? He could make it better. <laughs> That's exactly what we're living. Isn't that so true? Uh, Isabel, I hope... What, I hope you and your husband are linked together. Let's see what he just said to you. Okay, so so you're going this direction and you're afraid that it would take you a different direction. What did he say to you about it? He gave you Christian to keep you on. You are still linked together even after Jesus spoke to you. That's awesome. Okay, one more and then I'm going to hit these. Uh, somebody, yes, back here, Jerry. Uh, just afraid, of what other people would think. afraid of what other people would think. 
Right? Oh, we've had that. <laughs> we've had that. People think you're crazy when you're going out beyond your resources. And the, what did the Lord say to you about it? Just keep looking at me. Oh my gosh, it's stuff so good. Okay, so we're going to keep looking at him. I, I'm sorry, I got to do one more. Somebody else. A fear. Yes, vow. That you're too damaged. And what did Jesus say to you? That you're not. It's a lie. Praise God. Come on, let's just lift our hands in here. Just, just lift your hands right now. And ask the Lord, Lord, pour your compassion into me and through me. Will you pray that bold, dangerous prayer? Come on, pray it, church. Lord, pour your compassion into me and through me to the least of these. Okay, so here we go.